This is episode 61 of Alohomora for December 14th, 2013. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Alohomora. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Alyssa Jeanette. And I'm Noah Freed. Um, and I'd like to intro the guest today, who is Logan Anbinder. I met Logan at a LeakyCon, I think it was two years ago. Um, and ever since I met him, I knew he was a huge Harry Potter fan. He also works for the IQA. But let me let me have him introduce himself. Say hi, Logan. Hi, Logan. Um, well, thank you guys for uh, for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here. Um, like Noah said, I am a volunteer for the International Quidditch Association. I'm the marketing director for the IQA. I've been involved with the IQA for about three full years now. Um, so I was actually helping out with the IQA booth and the demos at LeakyCon when I met Noah, um, and which is really great. Um, and my work in the IQA involves spreading word about the sport, I'm promoting the sport to all audiences, and I'm also doing marketing for our World Cup, which is coming up this April. Uh, it's April 5th and 6th in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, so we're really excited about that especially. I really love every time someone talks about the, the World Cup this year, there's the north and south of the same mm-hmm. like line. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like you did that on purpose. Yeah, I really it's, enjoy it. It's it's a little bit confusing to keep straight, but we're we're pretty excited. Um, so Logan, what is your Hogwarts house? It's kind of a tradition to get this. From That's people. a great question. I yeah, it would be Hufflepuff. I always say I have an identity crisis because as an 11 year old, 10 year old, I would have been sorted Ravenclaw, but a couple mm. years in, I'd be going wait a sec. So now I'm definitely a Hufflepuff. Yeah, interesting. Hufflepuffs rule. You too, Alyssa? Yep. Oh, great. This is a Hufflepuff show. Yeah. <laughs> Deal with it. And just in case there are slightly new listeners who are like, who are these people? Um, Alyssa is not a stranger to the show, even though she's not one of our regular co-hosts. She's co-hosted before. She's been a guest before. She's a blogger for MuggleNet. She's also extremely awesome. So we're happy to have her Aww, today. Thank you. What a nice introduction. You're welcome. And... Most people, I feel like, know Noah. Noah's been gone for a while. But I'm really excited because, Noah, this is our first time hosting together together again since you've come back. For a long time. Yeah, I know. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm here to stay as far as I know. I've just had some other stuff going on. But, yeah, it's just it feels good to kind of uh, get back into it again. Reunited and it feels so good. Perfect. All right, so I'd like to remind all the fans right now to read Chapter 23 before we proceed. That would be the Yule Ball chapter. If you don't read the chapter, you won't get as much out of the episode as we go further. So pause this now and go read. Right. Read. Read. Okay, but before we talk about the chapter, uh, we have a couple of comments from last week's show. We have a comment from the main site uh, by Erin White about wizards and religion. And her comment says... The most compelling evidence that wizards practice muggle religion can be found in Deathly Hallows. When Hermione and Harry visit Godric's Hollow, they find that there is a Christmas Eve service going on in the church, which leads them to explore the church graveyard. There, they find that the Peverils, the Dumbledores, and the Potters are all buried in the church graveyard. I think it's pretty unlikely that the church would permit them to rest there in death had they not practiced the religion that the church, Church of England perhaps, in life. Whether they believed or whether they practiced because it was a good cover for being a wizard, it's clear they must have practiced. 
So these comments are going to be really fun this week because none of us were on last week. So it's like a totally new discussion. I think this one's really fascinating, honestly, because I've heard a lot of discussion about wizards and religion. Um, and I yeah. think that, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of controversy about Harry Potter and religion in general. Um, because, you know, the witchcraft thing. Yeah. But Joe has made it pretty clear that Harry is a Christ figure and that her faith is a Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually even like speaking of the Deathly Hallows, um, graveyard scene, this is something that Aaron White didn't mention in her comment, but on Harry's parents' grave, it says the last enemy to be destroyed is death, which is actually biblical. That's actually a Bible verse. Yeah. So hmm. that's another little like, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And the Dumbledores right. have one too, right? They have where, where your treasure, where your home is, there will be your heart also, or? Yes. Yes, that's right. I I guess the question I have generally is like, how far does that go? Because then we have John Granger who might say that it just, the books run deep with the symbolism. And then others who say, oh, you you know, it's just Harry. It's just kind of loosely connected to the Bible. So where, where would you kind of draw the line, Alyssa, I guess? Like, where do you think, how much of it is Christianity? Well, I don't think, I mean, I don't think this Harry is literally representing Christ, but his sacrifice is Christ-like. In that, in the sense that it's selfless, in the sense that he goes to death yeah. willingly, even though it's really hard. Um, but I do, I do think that in terms of wizards and and religion in the world, that I mean, muggles and wizards intermingled until the 1400s. That's well after Christianity was established and was part of an empire. It doesn't surprise me that wizards would have been a part of a religion alongside muggles. I mean, that seems pretty likely. And do we get much other religion in the books, like any sort of other holidays practice? Or it seems, at, at Hogwarts at least, everyone's pretty Christian. Well, I mean, there's Pravati and Padma who could be Hindi, or Hindu, and rather. And we've also got Anthony Goldstein, right? Who's probably uh, not a Christian. Yeah, probably Jewish. Actually, there's a really wonderful essay um, called Secrets of the Class List, which might have been on MuggleNet, it might have been on Leaky Cauldron, I can't remember, but it talks about sort of the entomology of all of the Hogwarts students' names and like what, where they may be from and like also what religion they might be, which is really interesting. So you should check it out. Secrets of the Class List. Cool. Oh, it was from the Lexicon. John has just informed me. It's on the Harry Potter Lexicon. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely makes a lot of sense that, like you said, for so long with the two societies being intermingled before there was this like... Um, like splitting for um, that it would make sense for them to practice religions. And I definitely think there would be other religions, but it obviously wasn't central to Joe's plot. So she didn't include them as well. But I think what's really interesting is like you alluded to Alyssa that obviously in the beginning, Harry Potter drew a lot of religious controversy. I guess it still does in some degrees, but nothing like the fire that started then. But there were all these like little tokens along the way to be like, "Mm, maybe you should chill out. It's not that, not what you think it is. Oh, yeah, definitely. People really, I mean, I people tend to get very upset when just like, it's like buzzwords, you know, when they hear witchcraft, they get mm. worried that it's about the devil, even though this could literally not be less devilish. I mean, the wizarding world is pretty like dangerous and messed up, but it's not straight up satanic in any way. Right. Well, what has been the reaction since, uh, since Deathly Hallows came out to have all that symbolism have 
I, I hadn't really followed or listened to see if we'd heard anything from the same people who were saying, you know, the books are so unchristian, you know, to be to have a book that has Bible verses in it and to have all that symbolism is. Do you think that that changes folks' minds or does it do they say, you know, they're using it in an inappropriate way? What's the what's the takeaway for for people who might have that sort of perspective? Oh, I haven't seen anything in particular. Uh, then again, I don't I don't follow it super closely. I don't seek that kind of stuff out. Um but I imagine that if people did realize that they were mistaken, they probably wouldn't say anything at all and just That's kind true. of not address it because people don't like admitting when they are <laughs> mistaken. Yeah. Um, anybody else want to add anything before we move on to the next comment? I wonder what the new Pope would think of Harry Potter. Dude, the Pope is a baller. Question. Like, shout out to I know, my right? <laughs> Seriously, shout out Pope Francis. Congratulations person on becoming Times Person of the Year. Yeah. Even though it should have been Edward Snowden. It should. Oh my god, we should <laughs> talk about this later. But, um, but I'm, I'm totally happy with Pope Francis. That's fine. The, I keep seeing him being called the People's Pope, and I love it. No, me too. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, we have another comment uh, from the forums from the user Ghostheart about Ron. And Ghostheart says, I've never seen Ron as a jerk. A bit of an idiot, maybe, an inconsiderate, but not a jerk. He's the character in the trio I identify with the most. Since he's friends with Harry Potter, he's almost always overshadowed when hanging out with him. Of course he'd want to somehow get to the Yule Ball with a beautiful girl. People would talk about him, and he'd be able to brag about something that he's done. It wasn't at all worded well by him, but I understand why he wanted to do that. As for the Book 6 comment, while we aren't there yet, I'll just say that what he did there was also understandable, and it's not like Hermione was completely innocent and smart during all of that. Uh... <laughs> I have so many feelings about this comment right now. <laughs> As do I. Well, what do you think, Caleb? I mean, well, we have talked about Rod in depth, like, outside of the show, oh, so yeah. that's we why. Oh, yeah, we had a I big this... conversation about this. <laughs> I have a lot of problems with Ron. I mean, like, I definitely get where this person is coming from, Ghost Heart. I see where you think that Ron, um, there are justifications for his actions, um, but... God, he just gets on my nerves so much in this book. And he's going through a lot. Like, Brother's got, got some stuff going on. And it comes really, like, fully into the picture here. But, well, there's even more problems in this chapter that I won't get into yet <laughs> since it's in this discussion. I don't think Ron's a jerk. I, I mean, Caleb knows my feelings about this. I just think Ron is, uh... I honestly think Ron is actually a very, like, sweet guy, who is, generally speaking, actually quite tactful in a lot of ways. And I know that's a very, very unpopular opinion. But actually, while I was rereading the chapter, uh, like, Ron really stuck out to me. I mean, apart from his interaction with Hermione, but I feel like that's a very special case, but we can talk about that later on. I feel like Ron is actually, like, pr usually pretty delicate about these kind of situations. I think because he is a youngest sibling, and he's very used to kind of not being heard. He tries to find other ways to make himself stick out as much as he can, which is, of course, hard because he has, you know, five older siblings and his younger sibling is the only girl. Right. So he kind of, he's, it's not just overshadowed by Harry, he's been overshadowed his entire life. And then when he sort of gets the chance to strike out on his own, his best friend happens to be the most famous person in the world and maybe in Wizarding History. So he gets a pretty rough deal and I think he actually handles it with a lot of grace about probably 85% of the time. Yeah, there's actually uh, an editorial on MuggleNet, uh, actually a few maybe, written by HP Boy 13 and he goes deep into Ron's character, uh, just finds him, like, the most envious person in the series, uh, you know, like, stuff like that, again, because he grew up with his family, you know, overshadowed, like we're saying, but I really think he's all heart, 
you know, he's really led by his emotions and he really just says whatever he's feeling. So I, I don't think that makes him a jerk. That just makes him kind of impulsive, not like Harry, but emotionally so. That it, that it might come off as a jerk, especially towards Hermione. Yeah. yeah. He and Hermione are definitely the more, most volatile relationship in that way. Right. And I guess, like, I have to check myself sometimes because I have to remember that Ron is, what, like, 14 or 15 at this point. And He's only 14, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I remember how I was at that age. And I probably wouldn't want someone critiquing the way I handled a lot of things then, so. I'll get off his back a little bit. Not when we get to Deathly Hallows, though. That's right. Oh, man. Well, we've had this talk. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) Okay, well, we have another comment from the forums from Stone Hallows about the Harry Cho Ginny triangle. So we get a little bit more shipper talk in here. That comment says, It was mentioned how it was important for Harry to like Cho, the weepy girl, because that was what makes him know he doesn't want that in a girlfriend. While there are obviously people who will marry their first boyfriend or girlfriend and be happy for the rest of their lives, I know one couple personally and know of two others, this is not the typical case. Most people need to date the wrong person to know who the right person is. Harry realized that Cho was the weepy, clingy, jealous girl, and he realized he didn't want that. Later on, at the end of the sixth book, when Harry is breaking it off with Ginny because he knows what he's headed towards and doesn't want to drag her into it, he knows that she wasn't weepy at all, and it's one of the things he loved most about her. So while it's possible that a night at the ball with Ginny would have sped the romance along, I do agree that it was imperative for Harry to see that weepiness in show so he could appreciate Ginny all the more later. I think that uh, that makes a lot of sense, that, that concept. And I, I love the reference to, to Ginny at the end of Half-Blood Prince. But I also think it's a little bit unfair to Cho to, to say, you know, Harry realized that Cho's personality was weepy and, and crying and clingy. Um because I think Cho is sort of going through some rough stuff. And I think what Harry maybe realizes is that situation with Cho and with, with the specifics is not ideal. Um, but I don't think it's it's necessarily, you know, Harry realized that, that Cho is not the person for him because because of those actions that, that she's going through. Because I think that's sort of a circum, you know, that's she's a victim of circumstance in that aspect. Very good contribution, Logan. I yeah, agree. definitely. I 100% mm-hmm. agree. Um, I think that Cho is put in a very, very difficult circumstance, which is why she feel, has that that pressure and that emotion and is depressed. I mean, she's depressed. And I don't think that... And Harry is a teenage boy, and he doesn't fully... He hasn't fully plumbed the emotional depths at that point. But, uh, yeah, I think that's... This is kind of... This is a little bit of a judgmental comment towards Cho, who probably could have handled things better. But, like, as yeah. you say, they're teenagers dealing with a very, very difficult situation. And Ginny, I have my own problems with Ginny, but I can't say that I'm, I'm not, I just don't really understand the like, well, Ginny didn't cry, therefore she's better. And it's like, well, not really. I mean, that's something that Harry prefers. Obviously we see the whole thing from Harry's perspective, but I feel like that's just kind of not a great, uh, I don't know, point to put out there to be like, well, therefore like she was stronger, like strong female character, trademark, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say is we kind of get into this tricky place where you start to place stereotypes on what is a strong female and what that actually means. Yeah. But there's actually a couple of people who, in the forums um, and all you guys who are listening should definitely go there and um, contribute your thoughts. But there are a couple of people who come to Cho's defense and say she's not really whiny. I know one user like uh, posted a picture from their book of like a text like defending Cho. So that was really awesome. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some people who are articulating those same thoughts about Cho. 
and, and it could be could be a case of uh, having the movie being too much of an influence in that case because I think the actress mm, in many of the scenes yeah. came off as extremely maybe kind of weepy and whiny. Of course, she's a, you know dealing with the death of her boyfriend, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, teenagers, man. Also, murder. <laughs> What's the deal? <laughs> Whoops. Well, those are great comments. Thank you, guys. Yep. Please keep posting more stuff. We love it. Definitely. And before we move on, we just want to take a quick second to remind you all to check out our MuggleNet fandom calendar that we have out for you to purchase. It is $15.95, which includes U.S. shipping. If you're outside of the U.S., it costs a little bit more because we're going across oceans. It's $14 for shipping and handling to Canada and $17 for the rest of the world. It is an incredible calendar that is so elaborate and extensive. Every Harry Potter fandom, birthday, anything related to Harry Potter, both in the books and outside of the books, it's on there. I know we even have the Quidditch World Cup on there, Mm -hmm. um, so Logan will be happy about that. Yes. But... Seriously, you should check it out. Go to MuggleNet or just check our social media outlets and you will see the information about it. Awesome. Now we are moving on to the podcast question of the week responses from last week. Um, And in a nutshell, the question was, what kind of other extracurricular activities uh, should Hogwarts include given that they had dance at the Yule Ball? So I came up with a couple responses and let me just just you you just your responses no no rather I, I found these responses from our fans in the in the comments on the website but there you go. Um, this first one is from Centennial Star I'd love to see some magical community service I can totally imagine a bunch of Hufflepuffs getting together and making Christmas cards for St. Mungo's patients oh my god can, can I be a little indignant about that you can be a lot indignant about that. That is just the Hufflepuffs doing it. Not only, you know, Hufflepuffs can make Christmas cards, but, you know, the other houses might have some Christmas cheer as well. Well, I can, I can, see, yeah. the, I can see the Slytherins going up to the hospital, you know, like the following week and saying, hey, so did you get all our cards? <laughs> no, yeah, the, there you their go. dads would just donate money to St. Mungo's, probably. <laughs> yeah. And we Gryffindors would probably do something that would end up hurting them more because we would try to go too over the top, so. Yeah. Sounds but, about right. It's like if Fred and George like did fireworks in St. Mungo's. Yeah, there you go. But community service in general, do we see any of that in the books? Or are they just an, un- an uncaring lot for the most part? Well, Hermione mm. tries with SPW. Yeah. There's, there's certainly community service that, that can be done, especially interpersonal stuff. But a lot of the stuff that I think you think of when you think typical community service um, – you know, like like cleaning cleaning the area. You know, getting rid of trash and stuff. A lot of that is just sort of maintained by magic. So you don't need yeah. like a a group. You know, a group to go around and clean the Hogwarts grounds because it's all. Well, I mean, you've Hagrid too, and you have Filch, but a lot of it is magical. So that that's sort of interesting that it removes maybe one of those you know standard community service responsibilities. Well, that that would make for an interesting essay. The extent to which magic has made uh, the wizarding population just uh, terrible to each other. Um, probably not. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I mean, they do. Hogwarts does bring its student body to Hogsmeade Village, and in some way brings commerce there. I don't know if that's community service, but yeah, it's, it's like, like tourism. Yeah, which is still good. I mean, it's still helpful to the community. It's like a college town kind of thing. Yeah, I wonder if they do other stuff in Hogsmeade though. They, they, we don't really go into that. So next comment from Dolphin Patronus, which is a cool. That was a cool name. I'd like to add cheerleaders. Each of the four houses could have its own cheer squad to support the Quidditch team. (laughs) I think it would be interesting to see a magical cheer squad. To that, I'd say, I think that would also be interesting. 
<laughs> That'd be pretty cute. I mean, I don't really know how well that, like, I mean, cheerleaders aren't really a thing outside of the U.S., <laughs> so that'd be kind of funny, I don't know, to see what that would be Is like. Is that true? I thought I thought that was a world, well, actually, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure maybe other places apart from UK, but I can't see that being a big thing in the UK. Yeah, that's probably real. It'd probably distract from, uh, you know, the Quidditch balls and stuff. Next one is from Olivia Underwood. In Fantastic Beasts, Dumbledore says that there used to be a drama club at Hogwarts until a production of The Fountain of Good Fortune took place in the Great Hall. Needless to say, a jealous catfight between the two leading ladies not acting not acting in parentheses, erupted, and they ended up setting the whole place on fire. They could have brought that back during the Potter books in reference to the, the drama club. I'm pretty sure Luna would have participated. Perhaps Neville, too. Imagine a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream or The Tempest. It would be bloody amazing. Muggles can write, too, you know. So that's cool. A drama club. Man, that would be so great. Yeah, I would totally be in that. Yeah, same here. I would absolutely be all over that. Speaking of things... uh clubs that could be resurrected what happened to the dueling club after you know it didn't go so well the first time but it wasn't just a chamber of secrets when they needed that like you know yeah. would it would it come in handy when Sirius Black was attacking the castle would it come in handy during the Triwizard tournament like you can bring back the dueling club at some point it's yeah. kind of surprising that like the dueling club like wasn't a thing already and doesn't continue like you think about like um Flitwick was like a dueling champion back in his day and it mm. just seems like such a common thing like I'm surprised it isn't a bigger... It wasn't a club already. Well, do we know for sure that it's not there? I think so. Well, yeah, because because yeah. Lockhart makes like a big deal about starting it. Yeah. I think it's an interesting question what stopped it. So I know, like, you know, mm, when, you, yeah. when you lead a college club, you know, clubs will disappear on campus just through sort of attrition and if there's no one to lead. And I wonder if, you know, are clubs at Hogwarts student-led like that? Do they... Or do they... Are, do teachers run them? Um, why did the dueling club disappear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't I guess know. there's just like so much bad stuff that happens that like you think about the dueling club, like Harry starts talking to snakes and then they have to deal with the Chamber of Secrets. So I also can't there's... imagine that they encourage students to attack each other. <laughs> That's true. But and the, I mean, the DA becomes the dueling club, basically. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And I wonder after after everything happens with Voldemort in years following, they have some sort of dueling club in place just because... Um, it proved so necessary with the DA. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, at what point, not to go too off off tan, uh, tangent, but at what point, how much dueling experience do you need to, you know, reach the equivalent of someone like Bellatrix or, you know, if not Bellatrix, another Death Eater? Like, do are Death Eaters particularly accomplished at dueling or are they just stronger than the students generally because they're adults who have had more experience? Can you go through, like, a semester of dueling and then you're, you can protect yourself or is it something, you know, like... You have to study for years before you become a black belt duelist. I think they learn on the street. Yeah, I mean, Death Eaters. I'd say it's probably a mix. Yeah, I think there's probably like there are some people who are definitely more um, prone to doing well. Um, like Harry's obviously a very good dueler. Bellatrix is a very good dueler. I think that's like there's like a natural element to it. But I think obviously some people are going to have more experience with it. Like Harry before he's, I mean, a couple years in Hogwarts has much more experience than probably a lot of seventh years do. I think for the most part, though, it's it's stuff you learn outside of school, uh, both for ours and for um, Death Eaters. I couldn't imagine there'd be some sort of program. I mean, there, there probably are programs, but I don't think – I wonder how widely they're used. Yeah. I mean, ours would go through training, I would think. Right. So. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. 
So the next and final thought from WatchSky181, art club, question mark? Presumably someone has to learn how to paint all the portraits that they hang everywhere, and since there are seemingly no traditional muggle lessons, uh, like math or English, I guess that one can surmise there would be no art class in the formal curriculum. The only time art is ever mentioned is in relation to Dean. Maybe if his character had been expanded as planned, we would have found out more about art in the Wizarding World. So that's that's interesting. I mean, there really isn't an art class as far as I know at Hogwarts. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of, like, sort of vocational or creative classes at all. Yeah, Hogwarts is, like, a very, very particular niche sort of conservatory. They are all about everything magical and not really about too many practical elements or, like, art elements. I mean, there's the the frog choir. Well, that's in the movies, though. That's true. Does that not actually exist? Is there no real frog choir? I, I wish there were. There were. Oh, somehow I thought that was part of the books, too. Oh, man. Okay. Well, get on it, Hogwarts. I think... And I think Dean's drawing ability, I mean, he's, he's muggle-born, so that he would have probably learned those abilities, you know, in his home. Maybe, maybe witches and wizards don't actually know how to use their hands to draw or paint. They just use their wands. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are magical portraits, and, like, I mean, those had to be painted. I can't remember what it says on Pottermore about them. Does it, like, the person paints them and then they get enchanted or something? I, I don't I am not uh, up to speed on Pottermore, but I know the Dumbledore portrait just appears, right? That might, that might be magic because he's the headmaster and it's a different spell. Yeah, I think it's, well, he had he had his portrait commissioned before he died so that he could, like, talk with it. Teach it. things. Yeah. yeah. Secrets. Yeah. How interesting. Oh, Dumbledore. You <laughs> jerk. <laughs> May he rest in peace. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> what? Caleb, do you agree with me that Dumbledore is, like, kind of a butt face? Oh, yeah. Oh, like, he's five. definitely one of my... He's one of my favorite characters, but for very bad reasons whoa, whoa, whoa. Dumbledore is not a butt face. He totally I'm, is. I'm with you, Noah. Thanks, Logan. He, well, well, he's, uh, I, I, but, but, but face is a strong term. <laughs> <laughs> I got that all the way from kindergarten. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. So we're going to move into our chapter discussion for this week. Chapter 23. <laughs> the Yule Bowl. All right, so at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 23, um, it is finally Christmas break, and Harry slightly slightly limits over the amount of work he has, but he's not too worried about it. And it made me think, man, I, I mean, obviously in college it's different because, like, you're on break, you're in semester, uh, from semester, whatever, but thinking back to high school, I never had homework or projects over Christmas break. Did any of you guys? I certainly did. I had readings wow. and essays and stuff. I don't know, they... they... My teachers just didn't really care. I don't really remember. I don't think so. That's really interesting because, like, as, like, since I taught high school for a couple of years, like, my mentality would be, I don't want to grade anything when we come right back from from Christmas break. So. Yeah, I wonder what, like, wizarding curriculums are like. Like, if they're like, all right, well, we need to squeeze this much information. Like, you know, like, the ministry says we need to teach this stuff. Hermione's the only one who does homework at Hogwarts. Yeah. Let's be real here. That's what it seems like. (laughs) 
And there's, so there's this really um, interesting, like, short scene where there's this almost sort of girl fight where first Fleur is complaining um, about the Hogwarts food. Fleur does a lot of complaining in this chapter. Um, It's very annoying. But she's complaining about the Hogwarts food being too heavy and how she's not going to be able to fit into her dress robes. And Hermione comes back, um, like, snapping something about, oh, there's a tragedy, um, how she thinks a lot of herself. Um, and I really, I really enjoy Hermione in this chapter. Like she gets a little catty and it, there's an attitude that's starting to develop that I really love. Well, I, I, I think Fleur, the kind of dynamic between Fleur and Hermione is really interesting in this chapter because I feel like, um, this was the only chapter where I was really thinking about Joe as a writer, um, and also as a woman and how maybe she feels because Fleur is painted as this, this most beautiful girl. She's part Vila and Ron's going crazy for her. Uh, you know, everybody is, but she's also kind of a, you know, a complainer, this kind of nasty person. And then there's even a line later in the chapter, which you might get to, where uh, Hermione says, Ron, oh, you'll date anyone, you know, as long as she's pretty, you don't even care what she how, what she's like. So there's definitely this kind of beauty versus brains thing going on here. That's something that comes back later, too, in um, book six mm-hmm. or book seven, when uh, Fleur comes to the Weasleys and Ginny and Hermione are complaining about her being there and like yeah. talks and that whole comparison. She's just, she's just hated in this, in this book in a, in a Which way. Is too bad. Fleur's pretty cool, actually. I mean, I think she's, eventually she's, she's portrayed as, you know, deep down. She, I mean, not even that deep down. She's good. Like when, uh, you know, at the end of Half-Blood Prince, uh, she, she decides to stay with Bill. Um, and that's that's portrayed sort of as a big moment. Uh, and there's not, I mean, she's not really around in the book before then for there to be development, but I think that's as much development as Fleur gets. Um, and maybe part of that is is Joe realizing, well, you know, she's going to be around next book. I better make her a bearable character. But part right. of it is also, I think, hmm. you know, the the intensity of war and, and, you know, the things that are going on bring people together and they force people to reveal their true selves. So. You know, in, in peacetime, Fleur is one thing, and she has the luxury of complaining about, will she fit into her dress? And then when things get intense, she, you know, she really starts shining through. Well said. Yeah, definitely. And it's point. the difference between being 17 and being 20, also. Yeah. Right. Which is a pretty big jump. <laughs> um, and then, so, Ron tries to get out of Hermione again, who um, is taking her to the ball. And she still isn't telling them. And so I'm sort of wondering... Um, is she because she says that she doesn't want to tell them because they'll laugh at her. So I'm wondering, is that really the biggest motivator for her, or is she just waiting for this big? She thinks she's going to have this big entrance, and she really wants to save it. I don't think it's an entrance. I just think she doesn't want to necessarily force the issue with Ron. Um, like you know, maybe she knows there's going to be a fight, or she knows it's going to be uncomfortable, um, and it's just you know, it's awkward for her to say, you know, Crumb's taking me, and Ron goes, "What are you talking about?" Um, mm-hmm. and reading this chapter, I always wondered what Ron thought was going to happen. Like, has that ever happened for any of you where you surprise someone with a question and they just blurt out the answer, especially Hermione? No. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that always seems strange to me. Like, good, good luck, Ron. Good try. But yeah, for being true. such a good chess player, he, he didn't really go for a good strategy with this one. Yeah. But, uh, but that said, I still feel like she was kind of anticipating a moment here, um, by keeping it in and even asking presumably Ginny to not tell them also, which we find out. So I think, I think she was sort of, she wanted to milk this a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised personally. if she, ex- I mean, she knew people would be surprised. I mean, she's not Miss Popular and he is world famous. 
Um, and I also imagine that in terms of fear, being afraid they'd laugh at her, uh, they probably would think she was lying if she was like, well, Victor Crumb asked me. And they'd be like, yeah, right. Right. Good one. That's true. That's a, that is a good point. That would set up like this whole weird thing. <laughs> it's like, no, seriously, though. I really am. <laughs> yeah. But it that also makes it interesting when you think about that, like Ron, even though he sort of didn't mean to, asked another um, Triwizard champion to go. He asked Fleur to go, and she doesn't obviously say yes. But then this champion does ask Hermione, and she obviously says yes. It's just like all of these little things that like happen with Ron and Hermione are always just so so cleverly done. I know, so adorable. Um, As if their romance is just a pattern in the books that just uh... yeah. Beautiful. Somehow people missed that pattern, but it was there it's all so along. It's so clear in this chapter. Like, just it, yeah, back, it really is. Not, how could you not think that? Although I find myself feeling a little bit bad for Victor Crumb. Like, this is a very recent occurrence for me, but I've seen, like, gift sets or, like, little excerpts from the book. And he, like, really liked her a lot. So I kind of feel did. bad that, like, he basically got so royally, like, denied. Yep. But, you know. He's a Stark Quidditch player. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he'll do okay. Hermione continues her little spurt of attitude though when um Malfoy tries to make fun of her because he overhears that someone's going with her to the ball and she pulls the Moody card and acts like um she sees Professor Moody near and Malfoy of course does not react very calmly to that and Hermione's line is twitchy little ferret aren't you Malfoy which I just love the little jab Ooh. she gives him. I like to think this is something that like Harry and Ginny tell Harry's kids that when uh, when Albus Severus and James are going to school with Scorpio, you know, Albus said, <laughs> Yeah, I remember when your dad or my dad told me when your dad was a ferret. That's really funny. Oh god. I don't think Draco would be very happy about that when Scorpius Probably came not. home and was like, So Dad no. <laughs> My best I was friend being a Albus. Ferret. <laughs> best friend. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> what if? Uh. <laughs> Um, and then we also find out, um, this is actually a little bit back, but um, Hermione, um, they notice that her teeth are different, and she explains that when Madame Pomfrey shrunk her teeth from the curse that rebounded earlier in the book, um, she just had her bring them on back so that she looked um, with less large teeth in front of her face. Um, it's also, like, guys, how do you just now notice that? Like, I would notice it, but... Um, they are the least curious boys in the world. And ha- Harry way more than Ron. Like, Harry just That's has true. no interest in anything going on around him ever. <laughs> yeah. I also just feel like there's all these things, like, build- Like Joe's giving us these, like, indicators that, like, Hermione's about to have this big coming out moment. Like, she's showing this attitude to Malfoy. She she pushed, like, she did something that she definitely would not normally do with Madame Pomfrey, letting her just, like, magically fix her. And um, I-, I just, I think it's brilliant the way, like, we're just building to this big moment for Hermione. Cinderella moment. That Ron will just, Ron will waltz in, waltz in and ruin. Right. Like he does. Yeah. Oh, Ron. Whoops. Bless your little heart. So, after that, um, Harry wakes up the next morning on Christmas, but he immediately notices something is not quite right, then realizes that Dobby is creepily sitting right on top of him with his big bulging eyes pouring into his face. <laughs> Just like, Dobby, you got to shake back, man. You've done this too many times. <laughs> yeah, Dobby is uh, not very good at anything, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I, 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 I like anything. Dobby very much, and I like him more than another incompetent, lovable character. But, uh, yeah, this definitely is very creepy. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but he does deliver just a wonderful line when he notices Harry's um, socks. It's the socks that I guess Harry gives him from the Dursleys. Uh, he says, but sir, they has made a mistake in the shop, Harry Potter. They is giving you two of the same. <laughs> Talk about, like, kind of a jerk move from Harry, though. He's like, crap, I didn't buy him anything. Here are literally the grossest socks I have. <laughs> like, actually, could he have described those with, I, like, read that, I was just like, oh, I need to go wash my clothes or something. <laughs> I feel gross. Where do you think Dobby got that misconception? Yeah. Like... If uh, that sort of, I think, lends credence to the theory that house elves don't do laundry, because if you know, if if Dobby was mixing up socks for the Malfoys, I don't think that would have ended well. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, he would have been slapped around. It's still kind of a better gift than what the Dursleys gave Harry. Harry's just regifting what the Dursleys gave him, though, right? Right. Yeah, this is an older gift, I should say, because this year he gets a tissue from the Dursleys. Damn, Harry! <laughs> Which you know is useful. Yeah. It's cold outside, I guess. Um, <laughs> but the gifts for the gift for Harry, which of course are socks. Guys, I really like these socks. Like, I want these socks. The oh, left sock cool. was bright red and had a pattern of broomsticks upon it. The right sock was green with a pattern of snitches. I would wear those. He's a really good knitter, though, right? Yeah. Like, you go, Dobby. Better than Hermione in this book. <laughs> I'm surprised he wasn't, like, somewhat impressed or, you know, somewhat interested. Because that is kind of unique. Yeah. Least curious kid ever. But he does, Harry does end up wearing them to the old ball, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he takes notice, I guess. Um, So I thought about something I had not thought about before. Um, We see these scenes a lot throughout the series of like birthdays and Christmas, of them like getting gifts. Um, But we never like get moments of seeing them buying gifts for one another. So I'm always wondering like, when are they buying gifts for one another and where are they doing it? I mean, I know Hogsmeade is close, relatively, but they don't go on trips that often um and we never hear about them buying gifts for one another when they're in hogsmeade so i wonder is like there's some like sort of amazon in the wizarding world that's bringing them gifts i think the closest we get is uh end of prisoner of azkaban when sirius sends harry the letter and he's like by the way i got you the firebolt and doesn't he say like i had crookshanks take it to the owl order office for me so a i guess Mm, that's amazon but b (laughs) if i'm remembering correctly does that mean that like you can have a cat place your order of you know thousands and thousands of galleons because i think it's like like credit card security is a little bit better on amazon that's crazy i don't know actually i wonder i feel like since the wizarding world's kind of like old school i think there has been evidence of um like mail order type stuff like in the back of like comic books or magazines or newspapers Mm. um like where you just like see it and you're like okay i'll order that and you just send them a check Mm -hmm. or like which broomstick has that i think when harry needs a new broom yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'd guess it would be something like that, but apparently, I mean, I'm sure you can order it in person as well, but the kids can't really just like leave Hogwarts whenever they want. Yeah. Yeah, we know that we know that the school has owls too, even if uh, they don't have personal owls. So I think it's probably something like that. And the presents always just magically appear each year too. So maybe that's a house elf thing, but you never hear like because Harry and Ron can't give Hermione her presents because they can't get up to her dorm. So do you like give them to the house elves or something? Say, here, give these to my friend. Well, they must have, like, a wrapping service. Yeah. Yeah. House elves. Elves for Christmas. Christmas elves, though. Yeah. You said said wrapping service, and now I have this vision of, like, Dobby, you know, doing hip-hop or something. 
<laughs> Dobby's like amazing. frantically wrapping with like four different types of wrapping paper for one gift. <laughs> Winky is like sobbing over her wrapping paper. Well, a lot of rap has like bring going back to like R and B, like has like dubious grammar anyway. So Dobby would fit right in. Yeah. There you go, MC Dobby. Uh, wait, isn't isn't there an MC Dobby? Is like, there? I don't know. That it's, sounds it's, it's, familiar. There's a there's a wizard. There, is there an MC creature, right? Oh, okay, okay. My bad. I knew it was a house elf. So, because I was like, house elves and rap, there's some kind of, there's a mix here that I've heard before. Yeah, I have to give that a listen later. Well, shortly after, um, they're getting ready to head down to the Yule Ball. And um, one thing they noted um, last on last week's episode that I had ever, never actually thought about is, like, in the movie, we see the girls in actual dresses. But in the book, it's pretty clear that they're wearing dress robes, which, you know, I would assume would be there would be a distinct difference in that. So I wonder, I mean, I guess it made sense to make the change in the movie to make more of a dress. What's the major difference? Well, when you think about what Hermione wears in the movie, those aren't robes. That's a dress. Yeah. yeah. It's an evening gown. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's hard Um, because the only description we really have of robes from the books and like how they function is actually in Snape's worst memory because he's clearly not wearing anything underneath them so they don't it's not like a jacket that you like put on over your regular clothes it's like a basically like a black dress essentially that you Mm -hmm. just wear and that seems to be like the the main deal in the wizarding world but again this is just kind of like a an issue of what we really don't don't know we don't have anything else we only know what the student robes are like and we don't really know how much uh different the designs are for grown wizards who can buy whatever they want or order whatever they want um, so right. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if the female dress robes had like a more muggly, dressy design. That makes sense. Especially as times change. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so as they're, before they even get inside when they're, I guess when they're walking down to meet Padma, um, Ron is already asking about where Hermione is. Like, he's he's waiting for his date, and even when he gets to his date, like, he's asking where Hermione is. Like, he he's kind of the worst Yule Ball, ball date ever for, for Padma. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is definitely rough. I mean, and Padma isn't awesome either, because she's, like, no, she's a, judging yeah, she's, him hardcore. But he, I mean, not to be petty, yeah. but he started it. That's true, but, like, Padma, I think, came in, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't know much about her character other than this chapter. I guess this is when we, the only time we really get her, but... We can assume that her nose is aligned properly. Right, which is apparently very important. To Ron, um, we never knew. We don't know who Eloise Midgen goes with, or if she goes at all. You know oh, what? sad. El- poor Eloise Midgen. I hope that she went with someone hot. I hope so. I hope so. Is that the she last has- we hear of her? Probably. I think so. Did she did she survive the war? I don't know, dude. I don't think they ever mentioned her. Yeah. I choose to believe she did. Yeah. And she got she got her a hunk for her husband. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And had a lot yeah. of beautiful babies. <laughs> and her acne cleared right up. Or uh, or if her nose is off center, if she just needs to marry someone whose nose is off center in the other direction so that their kids <laughs> have a perfectly centered nose. Average right out. out. Yeah. I feel like we completed her story well. <laughs> To Eloise, everyone. <laughs> this episode is dedicated to Eloise Midgen and her progeny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so Harry, when he enters, because the champions enter um, first, they're like the, obviously the first main attraction. He he actually sees Hermione with Crumb, but he doesn't recognize her. And, and like um, you mentioned earlier, Alyssa, I think it was that these guys are so they're just so lacking in curiosity and, and sometimes in some ways perception because obviously Hermione looks a lot different. But like she's your she's your best friend. How do you not recognize her face? I know, right, Harry. Get on it. The, no, the line is just that Crumb was with a, a pretty girl or something like that. They said that Harry had never seen before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I mean, like, it is really clear. He thinks he has never seen this person. Harry, uh. I love you, and yet you're an idiot. <laughs> Why are you the savior of the wizarding world? <laughs> right. Um, so in the books, um, Hermione's dress robes are periwinkle blue, and obviously in the movie, it's pink. So I was wondering... Which do we think that do we like the change? Would we have liked to have seen her in blue in the movie? I like blue. I would have liked to see blue. I agree. I think blue would have looked better. I think pink is probably a better color for Emma Watson. But That's uh, fair. and also I think they were going for like she's a girl. Look, pink. Mm. But um, just like in Sleeping Beauty, I side with the blue dress. Yeah. What's periwinkle like? I have to Google that. Is that a special blue? It's like a light, uh, very, I don't know. It's actually one of my favorite shades of blue. Uh, it's like sort of like a light lavender blue almost. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so here, once we, um, we find out that it is actually Hermione, Harry and Ron realize that it is their friend up there. Um, if it wasn't enough for Ron to be pissed at Harry for being a champion for the Triwizard Tournament... He's now super upset at Hermione for being Victor Crumb's date. And like we, we sort of um, brought up earlier, this is a place where a lot of jealousy is coming up for Ron. And he's, he's clearly having a really rough time. Yeah, Ron needs to deal with his uh, jealousy issues a little bit in this. It's all, it all just kind of comes to a head in book four for him. Yeah. Again, I don't see why people didn't realize at this point that it was going to be Ron and Hermione. Oh, yeah. Clearly. Definitely. How much is, yeah. I mean, I don't know how old you guys were when you read this, but, like, I, I was, you know, very firmly, it has to be Hermione and Ron, but I could, like, I, I couldn't really see Harry and Hermione, but I could see it more than I can now, and, like, it's, you know, it's every trick in the book to show it's Ron and Hermione, but is that an, you know, is that a reader comes of age thing and it becomes more obvious, or is it just you see what you want to see? Yeah, I think, you, well, I think it is a lot, you see what you want to see, because in the very beginning, like, I thought it was going to be Harry and Hermione from, like, very beginning, like, early, early books, and I, I, I wouldn't say, like, I actively rooted for that, but I kind of wanted that more, but, like, in this book, like, it was very clear to me, like, this is where I started to get annoyed with Ron, because he's got all these jealous moments, but it was, like, very clear, like, it's, it's going to be those two, like, Harry, especially when Harry and Hermione, um, I think it's Harry and Hermione when they're together, when Ron is mad at Harry. Um, I think those moments actually show it more than ever because there's like no spark of romance whatsoever between Harry and Hermione when they're totally alone. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, Goblet of Fire came out in what, 2001? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I think, I think So I right. was, uh, I was um, 13 years old. Same. So pretty close in age to these kids at the time. Uh, yeah, I don't think I there was ever a time when I thought that Harry and Hermione would be together. I think that's something that has kind of been conditioned in us because it's like, oh, well, here's the leading guy and here's like the closest girl to him. Like they're yeah. going to end up together. But I mean, I think that 
it's been pretty clear that like the tension has always been between Ron and Hermione, like for better or worse, good tension and bad tension. That's so right. sorry, Harmony shippers, but <laughs> I mean, it's what I always wanted, but it's such a good ship name though. Harmony. It is a good yeah. ship name. Yeah. And yet <laughs> <laughs> wasn't meant to be. It was not meant to be. Sorry guys. Um, so we, it's kind of like an aside moment, but it bothers me enough to talk about because we find out that Crouch is not there and all of a sudden Percy is there in his place. My favorite character, not, and he, we find out that he has been promoted to Crouch's personal assistant. And I'm, I'm not really sure, like, why is, like, why does Percy make an appearance? I mean, plot wise, I think it, it shows, you know, it's foreshadowing for, there's something really wrong with Crouch, and you look back and you right, go, well, that's yeah. why he wasn't at the old ball. Well, he's uh, already yes. dead at this point, isn't he? That's true. Yeah, that's what I was, I was gonna, I was sure, like, I couldn't remember if he was or what had happened, I, I couldn't remember the timeline. I don't think he dies until the third task, because that's when, when Crouch comes out of the, like, Harry's walking back with Crom, and then Crouch comes out of the forest. Right, yeah. We oh, still maybe. Die. oh, okay. So maybe, so he's, yeah, I mean, he's just, maybe like, he's just flipping out. losing it, yeah. Yeah, okay. But this kind of sucks for Percy, too. Like, you know, he did not behave well for the entire second half of the series until the very end. But he, at some point, you know, assuming he really knew all along that he was in the wrong and it was just pride, like, he got played by the Death Eaters pretty bad. You know, he didn't, like like they say at some point, he didn't recognize that his boss was controlled by Voldemort. So it's problematic. Percy is fascinating to me, just to show how opposite Caleb and I are in many ways. I actually really like Percy. He's one of my favorite characters. Uh, I think he gets a lot of unwarranted hate. He's just very complex. And I think that he has a lot of similar problems that Ron has, and which is one of the reasons that I think Percy looks out for Ron so much uh, in his way. How did Percy end up in Gryffindor? Is that just a, you know, Weasleys are Gryffindor people through and through? Or is it something where if if Joe knew what Percy's storyline was going to be starting in book one... I think it could have been a really powerful thing to show, you know, Slytherin, he has Slytherin tendencies in the second half of the series, you know, he, he's dealing with them and he's not, you know, not to put down all Slytherins, but it's a very Slytherin thing he does. And then he comes around and it shows that Slytherins can, you know, be good. Uh, would that be an interesting line or why, why wouldn't that happen? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think maybe it's because, um, it would have been too easy to do it if he was already Slytherin, mm-hmm. and it's kind of there's more of an effect with him being a Gryffindor. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Great thought. I think that the sorting Joe's sorting system is wonderful, but I think it's also slightly flawed just from like an author's perspective because it's very evident that she doesn't really make very much of an effort to show Slytherin as complex, even though on paper they definitely are. But I also think that uh, the sort of if we're talking about it from like a book perspective. Percy is a Gryffindor not because he, like, he is brave in his personality, but because he values bravery and he values principles, which is something very, very important to Gryffindor. He's mm-hmm. stuck by his principles even though he was mistaken. And that's something that a Gryffindor would absolutely do <laughs> and make full of himself. Totally. And, and he sticks around at the Battle of Hogwarts and he, he fights uh, alongside his, his brothers. So, And he apologizes. Yeah. So sad. He's got yeah. that stuff in him. Whatever. Percy's great. Mic drop. <laughs> Except for here, that great line where Harry says uh, he was so smug that he seemed to be as if he was, uh, what is it, prime minister of the world or, or something? Or yeah, like universe? he had just been elected supreme master of the world or something like that. Yeah. I thought that was a great line. Yeah. 
first thing he says right. to Harry is, I've been promoted. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, Percy. You cute little tryhard. <laughs> um, so we get this when they're at the table, the champions. Harry overhears um, Crumb describing Durmstrang to Hermione. Um, the description's pretty cool. We, I guess we can figure out that um, Durmstrang is definitely very cold because they don't light fires enough. Um, but it is also interesting that Karkaroff stops him from revealing too much. Um, and then um, Dumbledore sort of jumps in. And then we also get Fleur again acting out, talking about how much better Bobaton is than Hogwarts. So it's kind of an interesting way we get the juxtaposition of the three schools and their um, their differences. Where do you guys think the Durmstrang is based on that uh, description? I mean, I guess our clues are it's somewhere north because they don't get a lot of light in the winter. And Crumb goes there and he plays for Bulgaria. So I don't know. I actually don't know exactly where Bulgaria is. Um, but Eastern if you, Europe. Is Eastern yeah, Europe, okay. like it's around like Greece and Romania. Okay. And, yeah, I always thought like, I guess that makes sense because he plays for Bulgaria. But for some reason, like Bulgaria just seems too south for me. Um, I don't know, though. Um, I personally considering when I reread the comment about them not getting a lot of light in the winter, uh, that kind of made me think of somewhere like Iceland or Greenland that does get yeah. like mm-hmm. days of night. Um, and it's very far north, but they still do have beautiful summers. I think it's actually really interesting that he points out that in the summers they fly every day, which means that they have a full year and probably have longer breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, like I always thought about like, I always thought about like Northern Scandinavia for some reason. Um, but like their descriptions, like in the books don't really match like the people there, but just the geography always made sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I imagine it's probably a pretty big group of people because I mean, if Hogwarts is just Britain, I mean, and then I guess Bobaton would probably be, you know, uh, Western Europe and then Durmstrang would be Eastern Europe and maybe some of Asia. I mean, in terms of like Russia or something. Right. I guess you have like a lot of small, um, former USSR countries that, but no, I don't think a school would be in one of those smaller countries, so no. Actually, I wrote an essay about education in the That's magical right. world, if you guys are interested in reading it. Um, of course, now oh. I can't remember what the title of it is. Uh, I wrote it a while ago. Well, not a while ago, but a couple of months ago. So What was uh, that for? It was for the MuggleNet blog. It's on oh, the MuggleNet cool. blog. Um, why can't I remember what it was called? It had a really snappy title. Wasn't something like The Melting Cauldron? Melting? Oh, yes, The Melting Cauldron. Yeah, I was actually it was about um, uh, education in magical America because like we're like the melting pot, but melting cauldron. Um, but then I also talk a little bit in the introduction about uh, the culture, uh, different cultures, and how they might incorporate magic uh, into their cultural practice. So yeah, check it out. There's duels in Texas in there, so I love. Yeah, I took a, a little bit of inspiration. Not I, the dueling didn't come from Caleb, but uh, I was thinking of Caleb when I wrote it. I gave him a little shout out. They but would yeah. duel, and they would have. Uh, actually, one of my favorite details is that they would have um, their wands would be decorated with uh, like filigree, like that you would find on like old Western pistols. Oh, that's yeah. so. <laughs> Just little. It's like half head cannon and like half actual research. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Everyone should check it out on the MuggleNet blog. And um, let's see. Oh, so in this like short conversation, um, Dumbledore is talking again with Karkaroff about not knowing all the secrets of Hogwarts. I um, mean, he talks about a room that he found that's full of chamber pots. 
Um, and so I was wondering, do we think this is the, this could be the room of requirement that he's talking about? But then I thought, surely by now Dumbledore knows about the room of requirement. And this is a room he says he didn't know about. I believe it is. I think it is. Yeah, it's definitely the room of requirement. But I would be really, really surprised if Dumbledore had not discovered it until this moment. So you think he's just kind of like, sort of, he's like not being totally truthful about saying he didn't know about it? Well, Dumbledore is never totally truthful. And that's yeah. That's kind of where I was getting. And then there's a huge stretch that he somehow knows that Harry's in earshot and is cueing him in to the room of requirement. Oh, I don't think that's a huge stretch. Because he looks. Well, does he does he look at Harry? Like he he winks at Harry, so he knows Harry's listening. Whether oh, or not he says he gives him a very small wink, whatever yeah. that means. So he's John clearly, and I tried to act that out. Yeah. Earlier. Yeah. How do you do a small? Well, wink? he kind of. Um, but I think he's winking at Harry because Harry laughs at. Yeah. Because he says, or when the seeker has an exceptionally full bladder, Harry snorted into his plate. Um, Percy frowned, but Harry could have sworn Dumbledore had given him a very small wink. But Caleb, Dumbledore has very sacred eye movements. Like, what about the the, the fire in his eyes when uh, when the blood comes? <laughs> sacred eye movements or <laughs> the sexy gleam, eye movements? The gleam Noah. of triumph. <laughs> the gleam of triumph in his eyes. And all I'm saying is that when Dumbledore does something with his eyes, it's it's something's going on. That is. Well, I mean, I also will sort of. The Room of Requirement obviously becomes very, very important later, not just because of the DA, but also because Voldemort hit a horcrux there. So, mm. and, But I, th- yeah. I think, I, I feel like the Room of Requirement is something that, like, Dumbledore knows, has an idea that it exists, but I think it's it also seems kind of clear that he doesn't know the full extent of it because um, Voldemort is able to hide a horcrux there, and when Harry's right. trying to figure out where the diadem is, like, there's a line when he says, like, well, of course, you know, Dumbledore, that model pupil, would never have found it, but Harry's a rule-breaker like Voldemort, so he knows where it is. So, like, Dumbledore might know, hey, there's this, you know, this bathroom room, and it, it's probably magical, or in Hogwarts, it's definitely magical. Um, <laughs> but maybe he doesn't know the full extent, but it's something like, hey, you know, I should let Harry know that this is around. Like, I can definitely see Dumbledore consciously planting the seed, even if he doesn't really know what Harry's going to use it for. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he plays the long game. Yes, he does. Pig for slaughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, once again, Dumbledore, kind of a butt face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, no. Still, still a cool guy. Not oh, he definitely has his face. cool moments. I just think he has a lot of problematic elements as well. Doesn't doesn't mean he doesn't have sexy eyes, though. <laughs> um. So finally, the dancing actually gets started. Um, and guys, this is not the kind of dance party that I want to be at, because, except for maybe a few exceptions, because we get descriptions of Neville awkwardly with Jenny, like he's stepping on her feet. Um, Dumbledore is dwarfing Magzime. Um, really the only people knowing what they're doing is Fred and Angelina, like, as expected, though they are clearly the life of the dance party, but these poor children just, they, they do not know how to dance. They have no idea. <laughs> Kind of like sometimes when you're at LeakyCon and everyone is dancing by the stage. Like, everyone's having a wonderful time, but there's some, there's some fun moments going on there. So, we also, we've actually talked about this topic earlier in Goblet of Fire. Um, how there's this sort of misconception that Bobaton is all girls and on the other side, Durmstrang's all boys. But we definitely know that Bobaton has boys because... A Bobaton boy comes and takes Parvati away from Harry because Harry's kind of sucking at not being a good dance partner. <laughs> um, I mean, but to be fair, like, Harry seems like he, he put on a good face for a little while. He danced with Parvati for a while. Um, when he had he, to. He's Yeah, but he's deserving of a break. 
Uh, I mean, I like how you let that slide for Harry, but Ron is the worst date well, ever. Well, but, but Ron never dances. Like, he doesn't dance at all. No. Harry only dances. Like, to, let's well, be Harry's clear. required to, yeah. Yeah, like, well, that's to. fair. Let's be clear. Like, Harry is, I would be on the floor much more than Harry would, but, like, at least he, he tries to put on a good face a little bit. But Providi clearly is, it just wants to have a good time, so. I know. I feel bad for the girls. I mean. Yeah. Especially Padma. Yeah, she gets it the worst. Yeah, yeah, poor thing. But they, they end up finding their way in the end with those yeah. Bobaton boys. And disappearing, probably. Um, but. Don't make out in some rose bushes, girls. There you go. And the whole date thing, I know, I, I think they talked about it this on the, on last week's episode, but the, the date sort of sets, set a lot of the plot going forward. Like, if Harry had asked Cho and Cho said yes, it would be Harry and Cho. It wouldn't be Cho and Cedric. And so Harry wouldn't have dated Cho later, and Harry wouldn't have ended up with Ginny. And, you know, a whole bunch yeah. of stuff wouldn't have happened traced back to, I mean, traced back however far you want, but traced back to, you know, 14 year olds asking each other to the dance. It's your choices, man. <laughs> In this case, Cho's choice, or I guess Cedric's choice of asking her quickly enough. Yeah, Cedric of being proactive. Maybe you wouldn't have died. Aww. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, right, too soon. soon. <laughs> oh. Too soon, guys. It's been a long time. <laughs> hey, we're, we're awful puffs, man. <laughs> we're this is seriously a sore subject for us. Um, so, Hermione finally comes over to Ron and Harry, um... While Victor, Vicky, as Ron calls him, um, is getting them drinks. And Ron clearly is upset. He starts snapping at Hermione. I don't think Hermione really expected him to go that over the top, especially not in public. Um, and it's interesting because Ron is, well, at least verbally, he says he's upset um, because Crumb is Harry's competition and the Triwizard Tournament. But, mm, do we really think that's the reason that Ron is the most upset, or is he oh. probably more upset because, I mean, it's Hermione, and he <laughs> isn't her I mate. wonder. I wonder what the answer <laughs> to that question is. Yeah. But, I mean, it's funny that, like, I, I don't know if, like, that just, like, popped into his head, or if, like, he had been trying to... Ju- I, actually, I bet he was trying to justify it to himself with that reason more than admitting to himself his feelings for Hermione. Oh, that's definitely. True. That's it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ron, just going about this... Literally, he could not be doing it worse. <laughs> right. Um, God. <laughs> Those two. I know. Gotta love them. Gotta. I hope they make it. <laughs> I think they'll be okay. Yeah. I'm a little more worried about Ginny and Harry, actually. Yeah, they they probably have some, some rough nights. <laughs> screaming. I see Ginny throwing some things at Harry. Oh, definitely. Ginny's kind of a bully, actually. But <laughs> yeah. we can touch on that. Another time. Yeah. Another episode. Um, so Hermione walks off, and Harry and Ron um, go outside to get a breath, um, some fresh air, and they overhear Snape and Karkaroff talking. And obviously the first time you read this, you don't really know what's going on, but it sounds very, very suspicious. Um, later we find out that they're talking about the Dark Mark, but this is the first time we really see um, Snape and Karkaroff um, on some sort of familiar terms like this. What did you guys think it was when you first read it, if you can remember? Yeah, that's what I was trying to think. Um, because I guess we kind of do know, Doesn't isn't it in an earlier letter that Sirius tells Harry that Karkaroff was a Death Eater? Or maybe it's in the fireplace? I can't remember. I think it's in the fireplace, like, before the first task, when Sirius is about to tell Harry about uh, how to get past the dragon, and then Ron shows up. I think it's that that conversation. 
Yeah. So we know they're Death Eaters at this point. Um, well, we don't know Snape's a Death Eater. I don't think. No. I mean, I think there's always been suspicion. Yeah. Right. But it's it's never outright said until, I think, the pensive, the, at the trial. Mm-hmm. When Dumbledore yeah. vouches for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I want to say that my mind probably like just went immediately to something Voldemort, but probably nothing specific because I had no idea. Well, we don't know about the Dark Mark at this point. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, I wouldn't have known anything specific like the Dark Mark, but maybe something. It's getting clearer and clearer for months. That's the quote. I can't imagine what I would have thought that was. Yeah. And you have to... I don't know if you have to, but Snape... Snape... I think maybe get some respect in this because you, no matter what's going on, you get the sense the Karkaroff is freaking out and Snape is in the same boat, but Snape is, is playing it much more coolly. And whether that means he has Dumbledore's support or he's just, you know, he has to stay to kill Harry when Voldemort comes back. <laughs> Snape is, you know, he's, he's taken it pretty well. Yeah. He's in control. He definitely is. Um, <laughs> then after that, they, they overhear him, Hadamit, Hagrid and Magzine talking and, um, we learn about Hagrid's really sad childhood, about um, his 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 dad and his giantess mother, and then he tries to relate it to Magzine, um, but she denies that she's half giantess, and it's it's a really like sad scene. Like for all of Hagrid's faults, like you get this like he's getting this moment to finally like relate to someone that's probably been missing his whole life, and she she shuts him out and acts offended. And, and doesn't it seem as if he hadn't brought that up that it was going to it was going to work out for him mm-hmm. with her? Like, yeah. Some little, yeah, yeah, that's really rough. Uh, yeah, it kind of bums me out. I mean, Hagrid is really, really good at saying the absolute worst thing, but this mm-hmm. is something that uh, I mean, Maxime did not react well. I mean, she obviously was very insulted, but she also is very deluded. <laughs> Oh, I have big bones. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice yeah. try. Whoops. It's an, also maybe another one of those instances of, like, if if characters knew etymology, they would have an easier time reading people. Because, I don't know, I, I'm just looking up now, but Maxime sort of sounds like, you know, Maxim or Maximum, big. Mm-hmm. Um, and and oh, Wikipedia yeah. is saying from Latin Maximus, which means the greatest. So that's sort of, I mean, greatest isn't quite biggest, but... Her first name is Olymp. Olympe, so yeah. It's just <laughs> Olymp. You don't pronounce the E. Well, that's true. French. But that's sort of a um, subtle... That, that must have been a tough name to grow up with. Yeah, poor thing. But also, she was kind of a jerk in this mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, when they go inside, Ron has to tell Harry that... Because Harry doesn't really think a big deal about the fact that Harry's half-giant. Um, something Hagrid's never revealed to any of them. But Ron tells him that giants are really vicious, and we get the sort of backstory on how giants play into this wizarding world. Um, and he understands why Hagrid would hide this information. But um, it's kind of strange that like they react to Hagrid being half giant in this way because, like, really, like, what else did you expect was was the deal with Hagrid? I can't imagine a different explanation for him being that large. Well, I think Draco, in a, a couple, or later in the book, he's like, oh, I just thought he, like, swallowed some Skelligro. And, like, Ron's like, I thought he got in the way of an engorgement charm. And I'm like, yeah. wow, you guys. Like, like, you're really dense. Yeah. Like, no problem-solving skills or, like, critical thinking. Maybe for Harry, I understand. But, like, Ron, you grew up in a magical family. You know what's going on. You should know. Yeah. Although I imagine they never really uh, conceived the idea. Huh, it's kind of a pun. But that... that <laughs> Uh, that giants and humans would conceive. 
So no, feel true. free to talk about that in the comments. I'm still kind of confused <laughs> about that myself. Because well, we can't really, I don't know there. how much we can discuss that here, but. Feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure. Um, and so as the chapter ends, um, they're, they're starting to go away. Um, Ron and Hermione go ahead. Ron is still pissed. Um, Hermione's night is pretty much ruined because of Ron. But before they head off, Cedric catches Harry before while Cho is still waiting him at, for him at the end of the series. It's like all this whole chain is like all together at once. Hermione, Ron, Harry, Cho, and Cedric. Oh, but yeah. um, Cedric tells Harry the trick about the egg, how he needs to open it underwater. He's finally paying him back for giving him the tip about the dragons. And um, we find a place finally in Hogwarts where people actually bathe. So that's a plus. <laughs> that's because, true. right. That's been a long. That's been a long question. <laughs> and actually, speaking of uh, just the bathroom in general, it kind of occurred to me that Hogwarts must not, like, they must use chamber pots. Like, they probably don't have, like, toilets in the dormitories. Like, yeah, I don't. Well, they have pipes for, for the basilisk, and they have pipes for the running water. The yeah, pot. they have, like, restrooms, like any school would, but it seems like they have chamber pots in the dorms, so you don't have to, like, leave the oh. room. But who knows? I mean, yeah, I I that just goes off of Dumbledore's comment about the chamber pots. Maybe no, I, I, can use magic I have for stuff. Very sanitary yeah. things. Smells and things. Well, magic. You know how it is. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be uncomfortable for any muggle children who are used to indoor plumbing. I would not stand for it. I would leave. Well, you just have to leave your... You have to become a prefect, first of all. And <laughs> just be like, look, I need my own bathroom. Stat. Yeah, that's true. I was just gonna say I thought I thought the chamber, Dumbledore's chamber pot reference. I always thought it was like a you know there happened to be chamber pots in their historic, not a not necessarily like you know chamber pots the way the rest of the castle has chamber. The pots. historic Hogwarts chamber yeah. pots. <laughs> we'll open the room requirement as a museum. Hopefully, they don't have any contents. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely historic mm-hmm. contents. <laughs> I, I'm just like seeing them with like famous names like engraved on the side. Like this was Merlin's chamber pot. <laughs> Tom Riddle. <laughs> Are we sure it's not a Horcrux? Don't go in here. Um, but when Harry finally gets back to the Gryffindor common room, he finds Ron and Hermione, like a true married couple, shouting in the common room. And Hermione pretty much slams him that slams Ron in that he should have asked her first rather than um, using her as a last resort. And it's just like, mm, burn, and Harry knows it. Yes. When Harry finally notices something, you know it's like serious. <laughs> The least perceptive person ever. So, well, I love how it's phrased as well. If I don't have the book open when it's like uh, Harry had the idea. Like it's just like so he somewhat sensed <laughs> that <Yeah>. Ron, <laughs> like that Hermione had gotten the point better than Ron had, and it's like yeah. almost there. He almost came to that conclusion. Yeah. So that is it for this week. A really fun chapter, um, but now things start to really hit the ground running after this with the future tasks. Vacation's over. Yes. All right, everybody, here's the podcast question of the week. Um, assuming that the room with the, uh, with the chamber pots was actually the room of requirement, which I think we're pretty solid with now that we, we think that's it, did Dumbledore know it was the room of requirement when he went in? Does he know about it? And if he did know about it, was he possibly hinting something to Harry in this scene at, or per- potentially kind of seeding it in his mind, as Logan suggests? Uh, you can leave answers on the Lohmore site, and we will check them out next week. Sweet. 
Um, and we want to, again, thank Logan for stopping by and joining us for this episode. It was great having you on board. Thank you. It was, it's great to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Yay! And since we didn't really get a chance to talk about it before, tell us, like, how are things going with, um, I'm sure you guys are in, like, really big prep mode for the, the World Cup. I mean, when the new year hits, it's only really a couple of months away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things are things are going great. They're definitely ramping up. Um, we've got our event website up at iqaworldcup.com, so you can go on there and see a list of the teams who have qualified. Um, the The season sort of culminates with the World Cup in April, and so all this year, um, sort of mirroring the school uh, school calendar, uh, we're having regional championships all throughout the world. Um, we have six in the U.S., we have them in Canada, in Europe, uh, and in Australia. Uh, and so teams competed these regionals to qualify for the World Cup. And so those have been going on. Um, we've got a couple more to wrap up in February, but uh, the field is getting set for World Cup, and we're, we're really excited. Uh, the competition gets better every and every year. So that's going to be great to see, you know, even last year to this year, how much more people are on their game and, and, you know, the intensity of the sport is really growing. So we're really excited about that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I mean, yeah, it's so exciting to hear. We, we had Alex um, Benepion just a couple of weeks ago, and... I'm very invested in this tournament because mm-hmm. my university right. is my alma mater is the defending world champions. So I really hope I have something that is also going on that weekend, but I'm trying to like make it work so I can go because I will be the loudest person there when Texas plays. Yeah. Oh God, maybe we, I need to rethink going. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, it'd be great if you guys can make it. If not, you can definitely follow yeah. it online. We'll have a live oh, yeah, stream totally. for you guys to watch. For sure. Oh yeah, no. And if you would like to join the show, just like Logan, we would love to have you on board. You can figure out what it takes to be on Alohomora by heading over to our website, alohomora.mugglenet.com, and finding the link that says Be On The Show. Just keep in mind you have to have appropriate audio equipment to um, join the show. In the meantime, head over to iTunes and subscribe and leave us a review about what you think of the show. We love reading those. And apart from that, you can contact Alohomora on a bunch of different social media sites, including Twitter, at MN. On Facebook, you can find us at facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. Or you can be on the show another way and leave a voicemail at 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. Or if you are phone shy, uh, you can um, leave a uh, message on Audioboo directly on alohomora.mugglenet.com and it can be played on the show and it's free. So all you need is a mic. There's no reason not to do it. And we also want to remind you that we have T-shirts um, and now long-sleeve T-shirts, tote bags, sweatshirts, flip-flops, water bottles, travel mugs, and there is, of course, more coming soon. Um, I have to, again, remind you that there is the MLF shirt and the Desk Pig shirts now available, so please go ahead and support the Mandrake Liberation Front. I can personally tell you that the Mandrakes will benefit from the proceeds uh, <laughs> so that they can finally escape Greenhouse 3 and take over the world. <laughs> oh, um, my God. <laughs> We also have, uh, there are over 80 products to choose from, so really there's, you, you can't go wrong with anything you get. We also have ringtones, which of course have our famous uh, Loaf Mora song. And the ringtones are free. Oh, yeah. And they're on our website. We'll do that. <laughs> also be sure to check out our smartphone app, which is seemingly available worldwide. Prices will vary depending on, depending on your location. If you get this app, you will get access to things that people without the app do not get. So those are things like transcripts, bloopers, alternate endings, host vlogs, and so much more. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Alohomora. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Noah Freed. I'm Alyssa Jeanette, and thank you for listening to episode 61 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore.
there are there are a couple really bad ones. Wasn't uh, like wasn't Ginny and Draco's like blooded chocolate or something really oh God. weird? Um, <laughs> I think I've seen a couple different ones for them, but there was actually a really great Tumblr post I saw the other day because obviously like Sirius and Remus is like a very big yeah. ship, and they're Wolf Star. They got married at Leaky Con. Portland? Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, did they? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There was, like, the vote that the, I guess, was it the HPA that Yeah, I think it was the HPA. Did that? Yeah. And they, like, overwhelmingly won. That's not surprising. But I guess, like, someone was like, well, if if Remus and uh, Sirius are Wolfstar, then are James and Sirius Starbucks? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I definitely am down with this, just for that name alone. <laughs> Starbucks. You can get your own uh, James and Sirius drink. Starbucks needs a James and Sirius drink. There oh my go. gosh, we need to figure it out and put it on the secret menu. <laughs> Email us with your suggestions. <laughs> Perfect.